This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. Welcome back to The Forging Table. The mission of Undaunted Light is a... <laughs> and again, dude, I knew it. The moment... You're not sitting next to me anymore. <laughs> Welcome back to The Forging Table. The mission of Undaunted Life is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. At The Forging Table, you'll see a group of regular guys forging spiritual resilience by digging into God's Word, and we're welcoming all of you to come along on that journey with us. That's Dagan. That's Adam. That's Ryan. And we're going to dig into Matthew 22 today. And right before we got in, because we're going to start with the parable of the wedding feast, I was like, hey, does anybody got any uh, funny wedding stories? And Dagan, you and I actually have something very <gasps> macabre and common, but no. you get to tell your story first and then I'll follow up. So oh, tell man. me what you said, launch into your, to your uh, marriage slash wedding story. Here. Well, that, that's amazing. So uh, welcome to the family. Yeah, no I, kidding. I love, love knowing that. So uh, my, my beautiful wife, Michelle, um, we've been married. Uh, we got married in 2004. Um, she is, she's, she's dynamite. When we were dating, um, I was, I'm four and a half years older than her. So I was out of college, like old, ready to get married, like knew it. Right. Yeah. And so she's a senior in college. And so, you know, not, not in the, in the same spot. Well, we'd been dating for about seven months. Uh, our parents lived in Arkansas. So we drove to Little Rock one weekend. I got the ring in my pocket. Um, Michelle's upstairs taking a nap or it's like early in the morning. She's not downstairs yet. And I uh, get the parents in the living room and I, you know, do a, like looking back, it was a terrible job of asking to like be the new leader of this girl. Like it was awful. Like, but I just thought, you know, yeah, of course you just, you're going to say, yeah, here's the, oh, this is what I want to do. I want to get married. Here's the ring. Isn't this great? And they're going to, and we're going to have a party. And so I went kind of through whatever terrible spiel I had. And uh, her mom just kind of had this, like this bright eyed look on her face, staring at me and made this slow transition to turn over, to look at her dad sitting next to her on the couch. And they went basically in the nicest way they possibly could told me no, that I could not marry her. And it was just like, what do you do? Like the ring is in my pocket. Like, what do you do? And I was just like, and I even asked, I said, oh, and they wanted us to date longer. They said, you know, we want you to date through all four seasons. And it's like, okay. But, you know, it's like cotton mouth. And I, I got to get a metallic taste in my mouth. Like I'm about to die. And I was like, okay, well, I got to salvage this moment. So I was like, well, I, ha I have the ring. Would you like to see that? And her mom was like, no, I'll see it later. And I was like, listen, people, I'm trying here. <laughs> she gave you, she gave you at least something. You got a consolation. Yeah, no, she said I'll later. later. Yeah. But then, then later, so, so her family is Afghan. And so at our wedding, man, there was more dancing at my wedding than at most weddings. And they kind of, the DJ alternated, like, you know, you play like a, 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 a pop song and then they'd play, uh, and no one would dance. They'd play an Afghan song and the whole audience would come out to the floor. Well, they, he wasn't playing enough. And one of her uncles had had a little too much to drink and went over to the DJ table and got in an argument with the DJ. And this is like pre- mp4s right we're not playing music off of a spotify playlist he's got stacks of cds <laughs> and the uncle takes this stack of cds and was like Rah! and just throws them all over and the cds and cases are flying all over the place and then i got to watch my father-in-law my now father-in-law throw that dude out right so it was it was an exciting time but it started with being told no okay now but there was you you kind of lost the thread there in the middle because eventually you asked and she said yes so like what oh, the parents okay. were eventually yeah. cool with it no so that's i was i <laughs> no. was told to wait a while um <laughs> in which i think it would have 
I mean, it would have been three, well, four, well five months, I think they, they said a year. Um, but I call my now sister-in-law, so my wife's sister, um, who uh, knew what was happening. I called because she's anticipating good news. She's anticipating a call from Michelle. Hey, I just got engaged. And she gets a call from me and I tell her what's going on. And she calls her parents and chews their butts. Oh, wow. Like massive, like, like chew their butts. So I waited, I waited a month. I went back, just me, drove to Little Rock. I had, I had a three ring binder, right? Like I had bank statements. There wasn't much in the bank account. Wait, are you serious? I I had everything. I was like so much because I really did feel like I was like, as you, as you go back and relive that, I was like, I so took for granted what I was asking them. Right. You weren't, you didn't feel like you were. Prepared. I had everything. I had like, here's what I'm planning to do. Here's the apartment I'm going to live. Here's the cost of the apartment. Here's all my utilities. Here's my bank statements. Like all of that. You had to show your bank statements. I didn't have to, but I did. They didn't look at it all, but I think they were just like, Jeez. okay, well, this is better. This is better. And we took a butt chewing from Miriam. So let's just do this <laughs> and let's just, uh, yeah. let's just uh, call it good. Mine wasn't that bad. Hit it. Go. So my wife and I dated for like three months before I was going to ask her to marry me. And so she, she goes, well, let me, let me get a temperature of the room before you do it. Cause I was going to do it like Thanksgiving. We were going to meet with her family in Springfield, Missouri on Thanksgiving. This was like, I think my first Thanksgiving with her family. I mean, we were together three months and she's like, well, let me, let me call my mom. So she calls her mom. Her mom's like, no, absolutely not. And I'm like, oh, snap. Like, I already have the ring. I've already dropped money on the so ring. her version of reading the room is <laughs> yeah. asking her mom. Asking her mom. That's how she wanted to read the room. She asked her mom first. And then she's like, uh, that didn't go over very well. And I'm like, oh. So she's like, well, let me talk to my dad. Oh, it's so painful. And so she goes and calls her dad. Her dad's like, great. Awesome. <gasps> and so oh, she's like, talk no. to my dad. And so that Thanksgiving, we went over there and he and I went outside of the back porch and and talked and he's like i think it's great i think you should i got, I got the ring you want to see it? he's like i'd love to so yeah i'm glad i had to ask her dad and not her mom so is so, mom so, like you now yeah she's kind of forced to you know i mean <laughs> that's I a that's my, a big fat no, no. My, that sounds my, like no, no. My, my mother-in-law loves me she's a great lady okay she's a really good lady so so you got dad's blessing but not mom's blessing uh, i think it didn't really matter about mom's blessing when dad said like no i think they were just trying to get her off the payroll honestly yeah you know? wow like, I can't believe you said that out loud. Oh, they say it all the time as a joke. They're like, well, the funny thing about it is my sister-in-law moved in with us like a year later. So I had like two of their daughters on the payroll. Oh <laughs> I was my taking gosh. care of them. But no, I mean, they, yeah, were they saw you coming. No, my father-in-law, he was, he told me, he goes, the very first time I met you, you were always honest and open. <laughs> that's, I guess I talk too much. That's, well, I mean, that's, <laughs> but it's good. To, if you talk a lot, you better be honest and open. Yeah. I guess that helps. My story is not near as long as and drawn out, but it is still interesting. So my wife and I, we had dated for about four years before we decided that we were going to get engaged. We went and picked out the ring and got the ring. And I wanted it to be a really romantic time and meaningful time when I asked her. And so I waited nine months for an important. Oh my gosh. For an important day. You found no important no. days on the calendar. Yeah. Flag day we, would have been a good enough day. Tuesday. Tuesday's an important day. So my poor wife had to wait for nine months thinking like, okay, we went and looked at the ring. I think he maybe probably was going to get one, but he hasn't asked yet. He still hasn't asked yet. And so nine, nine months and event after event after event pass. And then I finally asked her. And uh, she won't let me forget that, that I wait, made her wait nine months from the time we picked out the ring to the time I gave it to her. 
Well, uh, my story kind of fits in between with some of those. And so uh, my wife and I, so we started dating on my, like I met her when I was on my 19th birthday, right? So we date all the way through college and I graduate and then, you know, I'm, I'm going to ask her to marry me, right? And so she worked at a jewelry store in her hometown of Marietta, Oklahoma, shout out Norton's Jewelry. She worked there all throughout high school, you know, wearing all the pretty jewelry, selling it to all the sexually frustrated men in town. And so like she was a great and great jewelry salesperson. <clears throat> and so I knew what she wanted because Norton's knew what she wanted. Like, you know, a little girl basically picks out exactly what type of setting, you know, diamond cut and all that. And so I work with Norton's, you know, we, we get the ring and this one I'm like selling insurance. And so I like leave for the day to go down there. And so it's like, okay, this is going to be great because uh, I'm going to be able to buy the ring and then just drive out, you know, to her parents' house and, you know, ask them and then I'll be back in time for dinner. Now at this point, her father in the four plus years that I've been dating her had said about 12 words to me in that entire length of time. Not a huge conversationalist with me. Didn't have a lot in common. Didn't want to have a lot in common. And so I'm thinking this is going to be good. I'm just going to go in there and, and knock this thing out. Well, I went in there and just straight pussed out from the very beginning. I walk into the living room. He's sitting in his chair. She's sitting next to him. They know I'm not just in the neighborhood two and a half hours away from where I live. And I just start watching TV with them. I don't say a word. <laughs> and I'm just like, we're watching the news or NASCAR or something. And I'm just sitting there on the couch watching it. Nobody's saying a word. And then like a commercial break hits and I'm like, okay, freaking jerk, like do this. And so I turn and I say, you know, Hey, I think you guys have an idea why I'm here. Uh, you know, I just picked up a ring for Kelsey. I want to ask her to marry me, but obviously I would like to get y'all's blessing. Silence. And I'm like, this is a great start. This is a really great start. It took me 15 minutes to get warmed up watching, you know, the price is right. And now here we are. And so her dad who hadn't said five words to me, really, they be, he comes, becomes a chatterbox. He's got lots of questions. So to, without getting too much into it, I didn't grow up in church, started going to a Baptist church in high school. They're small town church of Christ, which is like its own, you know, they're the only ones going to heaven and they study the Bible correctly. Everyone else is wrong and stupid. Right. And so they start asking me questions and I'm giving them answers that have the vernacular of a Southern Baptist. And that's like, I might as well poured battery acid in their ears. And so like, they don't like my answers, but I don't know that they don't like my answers. <clears throat> this went on for three hours. Oh no. Three hours. Right. I thought it was going to be in and out, right? Three hours. And then they stopped talking. And then I go, so about that question that I asked earlier about, you know, your wife's, you know, or my, your daughter's hand in marriage, where are we at on that? Dad doesn't say a word. Mom turns to me and says, well, we know you'll take care of her, but we're just worried about the souls of our grandkids. Oh, oh I'm 22 years old. <laughs> grandkids are not, <laughs> not anywhere in this equation so far. And I'm like, what do I say? So I left there with not a no but no answer at all. I did not get a yes. I did not get a no. I was lukewarm as I go walking out of that house. And so <clears throat> what's funny about this. So you might be responsible for the eternal damnation of your future children, which is yeah. no burden at all right. to carry out of there. Right. And so here I got, I've spent almost all my money on this ring and I know I'm going to ask her part of me one to be like, look, you jerks. Like I'm going to ask her either way. I just want your blessing. Cause I was raised to be polite. What's wrong with y'all. And so I'm driving back two and a half hour drive. It's already like really late. I, I, I've been lying to Kelsey all day about where I've been because I can't tell her where I've been. And who do I call? 
I called Matt Grassmeyer from the forging table of forging table fame because, you know, uh, he and I were, were friends in college and I tell him kind of what went down and uh, I'm like, yeah, man, I just need to start planning this engagement and I'm going to, you know, try to get fireworks. I'm going to try to do all the stuff. And he goes, man, why are you doing all that? I'm like, do, doing all what? He's like, no, seriously, like why does Kelsey, is she going to care about fireworks and like all that stuff? I'm like, well, no. And he's like, okay, well, you're doing that for you, not for her. You should just ask her tonight. And I'm like, well, I can't, do, I can't do that. It's got to be, you know, you hear all these women tell these stories about these elaborate, you know, engagements and things like that. And he goes, yeah, but we've already established that she's not going to care about that. You should just ask her tonight. So I drove to UCO where she was living on campus as a senior and I have the ring in my back pocket. I'm trying not to like turn around so she can't see this enormous box in my back pocket of my slacks. And we just go walk around on campus and I'm like, okay, there's a, if you've been to the UCO, UCO campus, there's a big lake in the middle of campus called Bronco Lake. And I'm like, I'm going to go to Bronco Lake and I'm going to ask her by the fountain. It's going to be beautiful. Well, there's an Asian moon festival going on by the lake. And so there's a bunch of Asians there dancing and banging on drums and being, making a ruckus. And I'm like, maybe I'm not supposed to ask her. And so I just literally walk off and we get, you know, in this secluded place of campus and I get down on one knee and I, I pray. And then I, then I ask her and she says, yes, but that was kind of a, a long story. But basically to this day, I have not been accepted by her family in terms of like, yeah, two thumbs up, you know, we're glad you married our daughter kind of a thing. So once your kids are baptized, they'll be okay. Oh, they certainly, well, they're, they're probably not going to be baptized the exact correct way, or maybe, no, you know, as long as they're baptized, the church of Christ people will be okay. But the church has instruments that they attend. Isn't that a problem? Not a problem with their salvation. It's as amazing. long as they've been baptized, they will get to heaven. Hey, I just want to say like the highs and lows of that day are extreme. For you. Goodness yeah. gracious. <clears throat> Explains a lot. I'm glad that you're here. I'm not <laughs> yeah. surprised oh you made it. Yeah, that, well, that's, uh, it's yeah. kind of a funny story, but it's kind of one of those things like, again, you can't let your in-laws dictate how your family's going to be. Because mm-hmm. when you talk about leaving and cleaving and all that, would it be awesome if I had the world's greatest relationship with my father-in-law and we had all these things in common and we can go out and have a scotch and a whatever, or go out and hunt in Colorado or whatever, like some of the stories that you guys have. <laughs> yeah, that would be cool. But at the end of the day, I didn't marry him, mm-hmm. right? I didn't marry, you know, her family. I married her. And so like, that's the encouraging thing, but man, we all kind of got jacked up stories, but Adam, yours is the worst because you jacked that up. Well, you know what? What if she had just oh, ran into some like oh. beefy baseball player in the meantime, like, and you're just sitting over there, like waiting on the world's greatest time period. I didn't tell you guys about me and my engagement, like my actual proposal. Well, I mean, we're 15 minutes in, even though we're supposed to be talking about the Bible, we might as well keep this going. Mine was worse, but go ahead. My, my, my proposal made up for it. So the engagement was terrible, how long I waited, but the proposal was uh, pretty spot on. So I had three string quartet because she likes what? band. It was Baylor's homecoming, which was where we had kind of our first picture, our first date, first thing. I asked her on the suspension bridge where it was where we had our first date. We went to dinner. I had a horse-drawn carriage take us. I had asked her dad on the phone for permission, which he granted it, but I didn't get asked him for person in person. So I had them waiting at the bridge and I went and asked permission in person and then walked her down to an altar that we had set up and asked her there. That, you know what, that sounds like Wait. nine months worth of planning. Right, exactly. to me. No, no, what you should have done is done all that. And then just not asked her. <laughs> just, not asked. just like, yes. don't do yeah. it. Yeah. Isn't a beautiful nine night? Months. Yeah. The best part of it was in true Waco fashion, there was a homeless person walking straight down the shot. So the picture is like me on my knee and there's a homeless guy like right behind us. Perfect. It was great. Yeah, that's good stuff. Ryan, hit your engagement story uh, and then I guess we can talk yeah. about the Bible. My engagement story. So uh, my dad and I have uh, our birthdays around the same time in December and we always go to Chicago for a Bears game. 
well, one of the players that he was working with no longer played for the Bears, playing for the San Diego Chargers. So he's like, hey, you want to go to San Diego? I'm like, sure, can I bring Rachel? He's like, yeah. So uh, Rachel and I were dating at this time, and so she's thinking I'm going to propose. She knows I'm, I got the blessing. She thinks I'm going to do it with her family and, on Christmas. So I'm like, hey, we're going to go to San Diego for my birthday. Um, I want you to come with me. I think it will be fun. And so I'm like, I want to propose there. So I tell my mom and my sister to basically tell her that I'm a real diva or a-hole on my birthday. And so the whole time while we were in San Diego, I was like, hey, first night, we're going to go to this, uh, this uh, uh, bar, sports bar. We're going to watch the Iowa-Iowa State game. <laughs> like, we're in San Diego. You know, she's like, I want to go to the beach. I'm like, no, we're going we're gonna to go watch the Iowa State Iowa game at the bar. Uh, we'll eat, we'll eat some chicken wings there the first night and everything. And so she's like, and then she gave me a present. I'm like, Oh, this is nice. You know, like just, just, (laughs) I mean, by the time we're taking the cab to like downtown to that sports bar area, um, she's like sitting on the other side, like she's just ticked. And so, um, I have them drop us off by a sports bar, but I already had dinner planned at this other place like right in that area. So it's right on the beach. I was like, Hey, we've got like 15 minutes before the game starts. Like, why don't we just go down to the beach real quick? And so we go down to the beach and uh, I'm like, Oh, the water's beautiful. And then like, I turn around, I look at her, I get down on one knee. She's like, Oh my gosh, you're doing this here. And I'm like, yeah. And so ask her to marry me. And, and uh, the the funny thing about it is like this whole time I got like tunnel vision, just like looking at her, Mm -hmm. like, you're, you're sweating, even though you know she's going to say yes, you're still sweating. Yeah. You know, and I get done with it and I look over, there's like a surfer sitting like five yeah. feet in front of us. Like, Didn't yeah, even know he's there. He's like, dude, I just saw that go down, bro. Congrats. It's <laughs> beautiful, bro. And then that she's was the like, first guy to congratulate Yeah. Him. And she's like, are we really going to a sports bar? I was like, no, I got, I got this dinner reservations uh-huh. at this place on the beach. But I was like, and I'm really not like that on my birthday. So she's like, I thought something was wrong. So I think we've, we have set a record. This is 18 minutes of four dudes sitting around a table talking about the engagement and a wedding. Yeah. So we're like a we couple a, of, that was pretty incredible. couple of Susans. Yeah. It was a bunch of chicks here. Okay. That we need great. to, we need to do, no, I think that was perfect because was as I mentioned about, uh, t- three hours ago, um, we got to talk about the parable of the wedding feast. So Adam, how about you read the parable of the wedding feast? So that is Matthew 22. I forgot what even book of the Bible we were in Matthew 22 and that's verses one through 14. Verse 1, Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servant, his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned the city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite the banquet, anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people that they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, He noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, How did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, Tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness, where they will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. 
So this is where we'll uh, pick up where we were kind of fighting a little bit last week or trying to fervently understand one another. But uh, really, the early part of this parable is showing God's patience because he continues to invite people. So obviously, uh, the person in charge of the wedding feast is God in, in this. But, you know, they pay no attention. There's there's apathy in this story. There's an unfathomable uh, level of disrespect. I mean, you send out your servants and they're killed by the people that you've invited to come. But again, as with this, it's not just about the story. It's about who the story is referring to. Uh, verse 7, where it talks about it burned their city. A lot of people think that's an allusion to the destruction of the temple in 70 AD by the Romans. But I really want to want to start off by talking about verse 9. So go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. So this the just the use of the word invite seems to counter some Calvinist theology. Uh, you know, why send out blanket invitations? Uh, the language of invitation implies that it can be accepted or rejected, right? So it's not a summons. It's not like, you know, you have to come before the the court. It's just an invitation. You get to choose whether to opt in or opt out. Um, and so I guess we can we can start the conversation there. Um, well, actually, let me, let me add one more thing before probably Ryan hops in first. Um, <laughs> but verse 11 but the, when the king came to came in to look at the guests, he saw there was a man that had no wedding garment. So uh, something that's implied in this story is there was a haste of invitations given out. So these people were not just on the streets already dressed like they were going to a wedding. So it's implied that the king himself provided the garments, right? And so this person in this story outright rejects, he rejects the wedding garment. So you could assume that the king providing the garments is like what you could call imputed righteousness, right? In terms of what this story is trying to describe. Um, there's a really a great quote from John MacArthur's commentary that I'm going to read after we get into this discussion. But again, right there in verse nine, the word in, invite, I feel like kind of goes right against those people that think that we bring nothing at all to our salvation because an invitation implies choice. I disagree with you on that on the context of that because if you look beginning in this verse when he's uh, the invited guests that would be J the jews jerusalem they were the invited guest and they are not taking the messiah who is christ they're rejecting him and so they're rejecting the message of the gospel and so now he's inviting not just the jews anymore he's inviting the gentiles so that invitation is showing that that the gospel is for everybody not just for the jews and so can you mark this down as a day in history that I agree? This is about Jews, <laughs> Jews and Gentiles. Yes. I, I agree. It's, 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 uh, the Jews were the ones who were invited, but the Gentiles are also yeah. welcome. But if you but, look at, if you look at the context of like how the Jews believe Gentiles had no place in heaven, right. there was no way that they were going. And so now they have an invitation through Christ, through God, which is, and I think when it comes down to, the other guy, the guy who did not wear the, the, the bridal clothing that chose not to, Christ is that bridal clothing. And that guy specifically rejects Christ, even though he's heard the gospel, he sees it. God has opened his eyes to it, but now he, he rejects it. I do agree that I think it's a symbol of righteousness is, yes. that, mm -hmm. is that exact same thing. Yeah, and yeah. because he's wearing what are, seem to be dirty clothes or inappropriate clothes, he's not righteous. Yes. That's why he's being thrown yeah, out. Yeah. And, you know, Isaiah in Isaiah talks about you know, all our righteousness are like filthy rags. So it's like he's chosen to not put on the righteousness of Christ, mm -hmm. but to present his own righteousness yes. to God. Agreed. A hundred percent. 
So I want to read this, this thing from the MacArthur commentary, because again, if you're not familiar with John MacArthur, very, very reformed. I think he is permanently in cage stage of Calvinism, I guess you could say, <laughs> even though he's like 80, so he can't yell as loudly. But I, I thought that this was, was absolutely fantastic. So if you're looking for it, this is in the MacArthur Bible commentary. We are on page 1166, bottom right hand column. So if you're following along, you can follow along there. Here then is the proper balance between human responsibility and divine sovereignty. The, quote, called, unquote, who reject the invitation do so willingly, mm-hmm. and therefore they're excluded. Can you not, mm-hmm, Sorry. when you Sorry. try to do this, I'm just trying to read this amen. quote. No amen. amen, no amens, no yeah, brothers, okay? All right, let me start over. <laughs> the called who reject the invitation do so willingly, and therefore their exclusion from the kingdom is perfectly just. The, quote, chosen, unquote, enter the kingdom only because of the grace of God in choosing and drawing them. And so, again, even in this statement, there's both sides of that, you know, uh, Spurgeon quote to where it's like, is it sovereignty or is it free will? And the answer is yes. So limited atonement and irresistible grace in that one comment. Right. I'll read it again because there's so much here. That's right. I read it slowly and, and you could even still miss stuff. So here then is the proper balance between human responsibility and divine sovereignty. The called who reject the invitation do so willingly and therefore their exclusion from the kingdom is perfectly just. The chosen enter the kingdom only because of the grace of God in choosing and drawing them. And so, um, I don't know if y'all have other examples. This is one of the few times I've seen in writing or verbally where John MacArthur acknowledges both. Because he's acknowledging responsibility of the human and divine sovereignty at the same time. And I've always, I feel like I've always acknowledged that you're called to repentance. So God opens your eyes to the gospel and the beauty of it. Your choice comes in whether you want to repent or not. I think you said last week, and I want to ask you about this for people that are in cage stage. First of all, let me make sure that, that I'm uh, describing this properly. Would it be appropriate to assume that somebody that is in the cage stage of Calvinism would say that we bring nothing to our salvation, salvation period, end of story. If you're in cage stage, you bring nothing to your salvation because I've heard I, that I would, exact quote. I would, I would assume I want, I want, I would want to lump everybody who's in a cage. Let's stage. just speak in general. Yeah, so. In generalities. I mean, I was at a place where I'm like, you bring nothing to your salvation. Okay. So that's um, an accurate way of describing, but like, those. here's where I start reading and I, I start <clears throat> wondering about, you know, like to repent. So I think where I get caught up is that I always had this belief that if God opened your eyes to the gospel, like you're just, your eyes are open to it. You already see the beauty. You can't, you can't, un- you can't unsee that beauty. But the more that I read and the more that I believe in a person's free will is that you have the free will to see that beauty. Your eyes are open to that beauty, but your free will is to repent of your life and change or choose to live the life and harden your heart and live the life that you're already living. I think that's where the choice comes in. Feel like every time once I get to that point, the part where it starts to fall apart for me is mm-hmm. always limited atonement. I have a problem with limited atonement. And what you said was your choice comes to whether you choose to repent or not. And I would agree with that. But limited atonement, purposes which Jesus gave his life was limited to the elect. Like, how can it be limited to the elect if we have choice to choose whether we repent or not? It's because that is the hardest part of it. And I so know there's a lot. I know, I know there's a lot of Calvinists that can get on board with the four points, but the fifth, uh, you know, the third, fifth being li- limited atonement, that is a very difficult one for me to get on board with. But atonement is for the elect. 
I mean, that's the Christ point. Like, died. How can that's it, the crux of the for issue. The elect. That's, that's <clears throat> the point. How can it be elect and I still have choice? How how if if it's important for me to have choice and I have to repent, how is some? How can you be elect or not? It's it, it, you. You, you're, because, if you're elect, then what does the repentance? It diminishes the repentance. So, do you think that? Do you think that everybody that hears the gospel sees the beauty of it? No, that's the limited. But, 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 what you're saying is that there's a predestined group that are chosen. We see that in verse 14: "For many yeah. are called, but few are chosen." That's the sticking point for most people. Is oh, the Christ's death only counted for the elect? That these other people literally from the big since before time had no shot and so that's where you get into people that are like how can a calvinist support mission work like why would a calvinist try to catechize their kids because it's not going to matter they're either because elect or they're you not have to spread the seed your job is to spread the seed it's just like the the, the parable of the sower of the seed <clears throat> some seeds going to take hold some seeds going to get caught in the thorns some seeds not even going to make it so mm-hmm. there's some of that seed that gets caught in the thorns. They, they, hear, they hear the gospel, they hear it, but they want to live their own life. Mm-hmm. There's some of the seed that gets caught and it starts growing, but it doesn't get watered. It doesn't get discipled and they fall away. Like, like uh, hearing a story about a buddy who believes in God and everything, but loses his job. And this, now he's like, I don't think there's a God. You know what I'm saying? So, so he's seen the, the gospel. He's seen the beauty of it. But is he elect? I don't know. But you know if God is sovereign, where do I come in the equation? Why? Because if I don't do it, if God, you know, preordained me to be the one to share the gospel with my three-year-old when he turns, mm-hmm. I don't know, whatever age, he can start to understand it. If I just choose not to do that, is he, is he not sovereign you, to you put someone else in his life? You weren't chosen to do it then. But I still get choice as to whether or not I do you it. Can, you can share the gospel with <clears> as many people as you want. How many people have you shared the gospel with? Uh, literally thousands thousands and then do you think you uh you think all thousands of those people have been saved of course not no so you, you you could have shared the gospel with 500 of those people and they didn't do anything but then somebody three or four years down the line shares the gospel with them and their eyes are open to it I, I know i agree it. with that the the problem that we run into is why would i feel a compulsion to share the gospel if god is sovereign and and will get his elect in the end because then you have to start arguing are certain people elect going to actually miss out on heaven because mm-hmm. somebody else no. didn't do didn't do their part because we're all called we're we're called through obedience to share the gospel just because i believe that god is sovereign doesn't mean i'm going to give up on everything that god has me to do you know the bible calls us to go and preach the good news so we have to do that out of obedience. Do, do, you know, we want to talk about giving and an offering. Do we, do, do we give an offering because we want blessings like Micah, or not Micah, Malachi 3.8? No, we give our offering out of obedience. But we still get heart. to choose whether or not we're obedient. That, that's the cho- crux. You get like, to choose every night, whether you're obedient to Christ all the time. It's called, it's called, free, like, you get to choose whether you're going to watch that porno and play with yourself or if you're going to drink that drink that you know is going to lead you down to a bad path like you have a choice to do that all the time so you have a choice to share the gospel and so you have the choice to do that we do it out of obedience we don't do it because oh god's sovereign so i don't have to do anything it's just like hey god's god's gonna it's like the people who think god's gonna heal them but don't want to use modern medicine to fix what ailment that they may have it's like, yeah, God healed people in the Bible, but he still calls you to go see a doctor. 
you know, so you can't just say, well, I I'm, I'm a Calvinist and I believe that God is sovereign and that if people are elect, they're going to, they're going to hear the gospel. So that means I don't do nothing. I don't know if someone, if I share the gospel, if someone's going to hear it and that God, that's, that's an elected person. I'm doing it out of obedience because God has asked me to do that. I give the missions out of obedience because I want the gospel spread everywhere so that they, people have the chance to hear it. And then, and then if it's in a place where they where God's elected somebody and the gospel isn't spread, it's done through dreams. It's done through many other aspects that people have come to Christ. So God's going to, God's going to do what God has planned. I, he doesn't need just me to do it. He'll use me how he needs to use me. He'll use you how he needs to use you. But it doesn't mean I get to sit on the sidelines and let him do all the work. It still feels like the Again, none of us are God, but it feels yeah. like a flaw in the plan if there is an elect and at the same time we're called to go spread the gospel. Why are we spreading the gospel if there's already an elect? I just have a hard time. What, what's the hard the time plans? rationalizing that? Because you're asked to do the something. The decision's already know. made. The decision's already been made. It's what, been pre-decided. Why, why do I need to go? Why would God give, which I agree with you. I agree that that is what mm-hmm. we're called to do. And most people don't, myself included, do not do a good job of doing that. And I feel like we are called to do that. That's what we're supposed to do. If we're supposed to do that, but God has already made the decision, why do I need to spread the gospel? Because he has dominion over you. That still doesn't but answer the question, though. Because you're right, I, I, you're, but it doesn't answer true, the question. But how does that not answer the question? Your question is like, all right, God's already picked the people he wants to pick. So I don't have to do anything. No, it's so even if I choose to not do anything, he already picked them. They're, they're already in the club. If you choose not to do it, then you choose not to do it. But I don't know any Calvinist person that I know of that doesn't want to go and spread the gospel. They're like, well, God's so sovereign. I don't have to do anything. The, the problem is, is it doesn't make sense why they would share the gospel. Because if they are elect, that means they're why already in the God, club. Why does Christ talk about the chosen here? Why does, why isn't he just, why, why is he telling people to go out? If people are already chosen, why is he telling people to go out and spread his message? I think you're arguing a point that we've already conceded. The point that we've already conceded is that we are to do what Jesus tells us to do, what God tells us to do. But he's already telling you people are chosen. Which is the crux of our issue. I, Dagan, I, but, feel free to hop in here because yeah. I feel like we're talking past each other well, at this that, point. That, uh, I just don't understand where you guys are coming from that if they're already elect, why do we have to share the gospel? That's your, that's your question, right? If, if they're already in the club, if they were before time picked by God to accept the gospel, it yeah. makes no difference whether or not I share it because they're already in the club. <clears throat> they have to hear it first. They don't have to hear it from me. Doesn't, yeah, doesn't and, and matter, but God could use you can, to hear it. Can. Yeah. But. He doesn't need to. If 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 we're part of God's plan for spreading Mm -hmm. the gospel, shouldn't we have a motivation to do that? Yeah. Okay. So if the motivation to do that is that every ear shall hear and every Mm -hmm. knee shall bow, right? If 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 I feel like if if I'm hearing it and I think, well, I go, I'm gonna I'm gonna go tell everybody John three sixteen. You know, for all God loved the whole world uh, so much that He gave His Son. Whoever believes in Him. Mm-hmm. Uh, shall not perish and have everlasting life, but might not be you, right? So don't worry about it. If it's not, I'm going to keep going down the road. You know what I mean? It's like, I it mean, just incentivizes me to be an active um, evangelist. If it, it's like I said, I'm not saying that God, an incentive. 
That's my question. That, we're so full of ourselves. No, that, no, just let me finish. We're so full of ourselves <clears throat> that we have to have an incentive to be obedient. Look at people, look at, look at these churches now when it, com- when it comes to giving an offering, that we have to have an incentive of three months before we even think and before we see blessings to, to give an offering. Like, mm-hmm. you know why you go out and spread the gospel? It's because that's what he's asked you to do. And you do that of obedience. I don't you disagree. Go, but, 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 and to, I don't but to throw out John 3.16 like that and then say, well, I don't know if you're elect. You don't know that. You I, don't know that at all. And I, so to end it that way, it's kind of. No, that's the point, Ryan. No, but I, I'm just saying it doesn't make any sense. Except well, that it does. I, 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 I don't see it. Please open my eyes to this. Well, I mean, the, the brokenness of this world means that incentive matters. I mean, that's, that's the The reality. incentive is Christ. No, no, no. Having an, the need to have an incentive. I know who the incentive is. But what I'm saying is like, and I'm not saying it for me personally. I, I certainly should be, uh, take, I, I should be more aggressive in my, in my sharing, right? Like, it should be closer to the top of the who are you and what do you do, right? It should be above that, um, a, more of a spiritual inquiry. But what I'm saying is, is I, I, I do see that God has included us in his plan. Of course. And his plan has nothing to do with our success. Nope. His so, success. Right. So I'm just, I, I feel like if I'm included in his plan, then just from a humanly perspective, like, should I not feel like, should I not, should I not be able to celebrate in the joy of executing his plan? Of course you should. So, but you guys are coming back with, with saying that because there are people that, because if you believe that people are elected, that you shouldn't share the gospel at all. That's not what anyone has said. That's we what, haven't even that's applied what it. it. That's what it sounds like. You're saying, what's the point of me? Sharing the gospel if people are already no, well, that's well, what you're talking about is you're, you're using language. Okay, I can see how it could come yeah. across that way. Uh, I honestly do. I think we're we're getting mixed up on um, incentivizing something versus compelling something. And so you're right. Some people need to be incentivized to do something before they do it. It's stupid. It's depraved. It's weird. Okay, but it's feeling compelled to do it as if I am a cog in the wheel. So I have two sons. And I have been, so I think you mentioned it this week or last week, you know, staying up at night, you know, wondering, oh my gosh, did I accidentally blaspheme the Holy Spirit? Uh I keep wondering, and I'm terrified that one of my sons is not elect and they're going to be raised in the same home, go to the same school, have probably the same teacher, same mom and dad, same exposure to the gospel message, but preordained before time, Eli or James or both of them are not elect. Both of them might be elect. And so them growing up in my house and me showing them a gospel example and preaching the gospel over them for their entire lives, at least for as long as they live in my home, Mm -hmm. doesn't matter because God selected them or he didn't. And I think that, so we're getting off on what we should be doing because I think all of us agree with you. We should share the gospel. I don't think anyone's going to argue that we shouldn't. We're saying the essential nature of us sharing the gospel doesn't come into play if God's sovereignty reigns over all. God's, but God's sovereignty <clears throat> does reign overall. Like, I don't understand why you, like, why don't you see it that way? Like, what? No, please, I agree with yeah, you but, that God's sovereignty reigns overall. So if I am disobedient to God's plan, because there's God's perfect will, will, and there's God's realized will. Mm-hmm. So there's the perfect will. If sin never entered the earth, like here's how everything, here's yeah. how the cookie was always yeah. supposed to crumble. And then there's, okay, 
We're not automatons. We're not robots. We are conscience beings that can zig or zag, can choose A or B, can do one or two. And so if God's plan is for us to zig, choice A, and then number one, and we do the exact opposite, his sovereignty will reign over all. We agree with that, mm-hmm. which goes back to, I think, Adam's concern from the beginning. Correct me if I'm wrong, Adam, which is that if God is sovereign and chose these people before mm-hmm. time, before creation, mm-hmm then what we do plays no, it doesn't have to play any factor. God can use us in the plan and we can opt into that plan or we can opt out. But if I was supposed to lead Eli to Christ and I didn't do my job, but he is sovereignly picked as part of the elect, someone else will share the gospel and open his eyes or a dream will come to him and God's will would be done. Yeah, no, I agree with that. So what are we missing? I kind of got lost in where we're we're missing each other. That I I feel like you guys are using like elect as a scapegoat as to not, as to not. Um, it's not a scapegoat. I don't think any because none well, of no, us are I'm advocating for not it just sharing. Sounds like it just sounds like. Well, if you're elect, then like, what's the point of sharing the gospel? Like, because I get that all the time. It's like because we need to be obedient and share the gospel. I don't. If I go and share the gospel. Do I hope five people hear it and become saved? Yes, I do. For me, it's not. What's the point? It's. If, if God is sovereign, which I believe that he is, he doesn't need me to. It's not what's the point. This, this, oh. this is like an exercise in futility. Yeah. It's that he doesn't need me to do it because these people were pre-selected for this club and, and they're in. And Well, yeah, but some, they have to hear the gospel though. So, but not from me. I, I don't know where you're going from with the not, not from me. It, I can't, I don't have the language to so, explain it so, any so, other way. Like, 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 look at it this way. You had the guys that you went and spoke to at the, at the prison. Right. Some of them heard the gospel from you. Mm-hmm. Some of them have repented and believed, right? Correct. You were used. Some of them didn't hear it. Mm-hmm. Or some of them heard it and didn't even take it. Maybe you walked out or something. Those five guys needed to hear it from you and they heard it. You did what, you, and you did it because that's what you're called to do. So right. if I'm, if I'm, if my whole motive is sharing, of sharing the gospel is to see how many people I can get to come to Christ. That's not the motive. My motive is to share the beauty of the gospel. We agree. But if somebody exercising their free will had shot me in the head before I walked into Lewisburg prison in Pennsylvania that day, and those five guys were going to accept the gospel call based on the words that I used to point them to the father. Yeah, but you're using, you're using something that you have no control over. Well, of course we're using God a parallel has, universe example yeah, to prove the paral- point. Yeah, but it's a parallel universe. You live in the universe that God has created and God made sure that you were protected walking into Lewisburg prison because you were supposed to be there to tell those guys those things. You can't just be like, well, what if I got shot in the head? Who, how those guys wouldn't be elect anymore. I mean, that's like, what if I was never born? What if Christ never came? You know, I think, like I think the op- it's parallel universes. I think, I think it would have been the opposite. Not that they wouldn't have been elect before it had been, they would have been elect already regardless of Kyle being involved or not. So, so if Kyle not being in, in Kyle, not being involved or not spreading the gospel would have made a difference for them. I think you're using Why? like made up examples. Okay, then take that to, example off the table. What if I like, walked in and chose not to speak? Universe. Okay, I just took it off the table. Okay? okay, so I walked in. Wait, I walked in and I chose to not share the gospel. Then, I chose to give a TED talk and explain to these guys how they can better pass their time in Lewisburg until they finally die or they're released. So I made the conscious decision to not share the gospel. 
you made the conscious decision not to share the gospel, God would already have known that, and they would have heard, if they were elect, they would hear the gospel someplace else. But they were supposed to hear it from me. That was God's plan. If if that was God's plan, you would have done it. We never do. Almost (laughs) none of us do God's plan almost all day, every day. What are you talking about? They're going to hear it. From from the moment you were born, you were not doing God's plan in some time or another. Like, if you were only doing God's plan, then everything would work out. Did Rahab not do God's plan? But you can't advocate that we're doing God's plan when we sin. No, I'm not. I'm talking about. So, did, so there's times when we're not following God's plan because there's, we're sinners. There's times Obviously. when we're not following God's plan. I get that 100. percent But the. God, but you're saying it wouldn't have been His plan if God's plan was for me to share the gospel at Lewisburg Prison, and I chose not to. You're saying, well, then that wasn't His plan. It's like you can't have it both ways. It was either His plan or it wasn't His plan. You're it's not me, the plan based so on the you're outcome. Now, so you're now using the outcome of whether something is his plan, but then using sin is not his plan. Uh, no, that's not what I'm saying. Well, what I'm saying is my, his plan for me was to walk into that prison and share the gospel. That was his plan. Yeah. But I have free will and choice and autonomy in the matter. And I could have walked in with that intention to do that and felt like it was God's plan and chose not to. Do you think God's not sovereign over that? Sovereign in what way? I'm just saying, do you think God's not sovereign on that situation? God is sovereign on everything else, but whether you choose to share the gospel or not. Because if he could compel me to share the gospel against my will, then I have no free will. If I have no free will, I have no choice whether or not to accept his free gift of grace and to love him. Because that's what C.S. Lewis talks about. A world worth uh, full of automatons is not a world worth creating because they were compelled to do something like a computer is compelled to spit out a solution to a math problem. You should be so in love with the gospel and what God has done for you and through your depravity that you want to share the gospel. I agree. But what if I choose not to that? Okay. Then you choose not to, but I I don't even know what the the people are still going to hear it. I mean, I don't, but not from me, but which was God's plan. Yeah, you're just using like different parallel. No, no, no. I already took that, that off the table. I no, took that argument like you, completely away you from you. You went over there. You went over there and you, you spread the gospel. And now you're like, well, what if I decided not to spread the gospel? You know, like, really? You would, you would decide not to spread the gospel when you got there? It's my decision. <laughs> because right. they, were, they might have already been. All right. Elect. You guys, you guys can use whatever you want about your free will. Let's, let's caveat. Let's caveat with something that's important. <laughs> I love these discussions. These discussions are incredibly important, but let's not let them distract us from the fact that they don't change what the gospel is. Oh, yes. These are not uh, an issue of salvation. These nope. do not change whether or not someone is saved. They are important discussions to have, but it does not change. They're not salvation. They're not so exactly. So. so, but we can all agree that ham's awesome, right? Ham, like we all just, ham we is all, trash. Ham bros. Uh, demons should be cast in all ham <laughs> and run down. It's actually so late. It's actually late right now. I could totally, I could go to the store right now and cook a ham I, and stay up. Until when I it's bite done. into a piece of ham, no, I think I taste say that. a demon. No, yeah. it's like, it's like a, it's like a demon flavor with the texture of an eraser. Exactly. Oh yeah. I think I've actually got a pitchfork wow. one time inside of a piece of ham. You know, is I kind of wish I had. Is that the Arminian taste buds? <laughs> yeah. I kind of wish you had gotten that pitchfork stuck in your throat. Okay. Well, hey, we're 45 minutes in and we've gotten about 12 uh, verses in, so go us. But guess what, guys? We have a bona fide tax man in our midst. Yes. And so he is going to be the one to read this next part here. So Adam, 
if you literally, your entire world, your entire life working in spreadsheets has led to this moment where you are going to read about paying taxes to Caesar, Matthew 22 verses 15 through 22, hit it. My favorite parable, 15. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius, and he asked them, Whose image is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. All right, tax man. I know you got a lot to say on this one, so go for it. Uh, you know, I have read this scripture so many times. I've actually taught on this in our Sunday school several times because as a CPA, I'm constantly confronted with not only people that want to reduce their taxes, but people that don't want to pay their taxes at all. <laughs> and when people come to me and they're like, can't I just create some expenses and make my taxable income go down, just pull it out of thin air and not pay anything. It's like, no, we can't do that. That's not allowed. When we read the scripture, we're reminded that the money that we're paying for our taxes is not our own. It's not, it's not our money. It's been given to us and it's also been created by the government. We're giving them their money back. So yes, you have to pay your taxes, paying your taxes. And I've also, the same complaint I've heard is, you know, what about when the government does things that we don't agree with? You know, what if the government is funding abortions or the government is funding programs that um, we find repulsive. You know, what do we do about those things? Those are things that we can't control. Those are the things that we advocate and we try to get godly men in positions to try and make good decisions, but that is not a reason to not pay your taxes either. I think that's all very true. We always enjoy whenever you, you teach, you basically teach that every single year. Um, and there's so much here that, that can be lost. I mean, you have the Pharisees, which, you know, basically were rejecting Rome, the Herodians, they were political, but not religious. Right. So I don't really know what the corollary would be for today, but they supported Rome. So you have these people on opposite ends of the spectrums. You have the Herodians and Sadducees, and then you've got the Pharisees and they come together because they're like, we're going to get them this time. Like we're going to give them the ultimate zinger. They're setting a trap because if Jesus says, no, you shouldn't pay to Caesar, then they will be charged. You know, they can charge him with treason mm-hmm. against Rome, which you, you know, would get him crucified. So they kind of had the same result. Uh, but if he says yes, then he will be charged with just disloyalty to Israel. And so it's like, you're on either side of this coin, no pun intended to where it's just like, there is no correct answer. And, you know, Jesus knew that the Jews hated the poll tax and uh, they knew that they felt like it was an intrusive ta- uh, tax. And the thing was, is if Jesus said, no, you don't need to pay, pay this to, to Caesar, it would have made the mob happy. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about it. So I think about this all the time. So no matter when y'all are listening to this, because some people are listening to this on time, some of you are listening to it six months from now. If there's an election even in a local election, there are going to be some things that I can predict. I have been predestined to tell you guys what I know exactly is going to happen. People are going to promise that teachers are going to get paid more. People are going to, at least Republicans are going to promise to bring your taxes down. Democrats are going to promise to bring the amount of money you get from the government up. There are all these things that are basically just guaranteed because it's mob. It's red meat to the mob. And so if you want to get 
you know, single moms in a suburb to vote for you. You say, yeah, we're going to pay the teachers more and we're going to make the dog park prettier. And it's like people just there and they'll just like go ahead and vote for you as if that's something that you're actually going to do, even though those, those things never actually happen. But he doesn't give the red meat to him because he's God. He's not a political figure. He's operating in a political sphere and in a political world, but he's not going to be, he's not going to allow you to put him into the category of we're only going to deal with this in a political manner. Mm-hmm. What else well, do you guys? Man, I see, I see that like the Pharisees, they've, they've come, right? They've come, they've been confused. He's kind of like, you know, really beating them down with some, some like, oh yeah, well here, how about this? You know, and he's like served them some of their own medicine. So they've left and they've come back. And now they've like, they're getting desperate because you can see that they're looping in two other groups that they do not get along with, right? Like they're like, oh my gosh, like we got to have other people who would also be um, incentivized to do something about this guy. And, and they go basically team up, you know? So it's, it's like, hey, the Republicans and the Democrats all of a sudden are teaming up on somebody else. And you're like, wow, this other dude must be a big threat to them. Right. So, so you can, that, that's the first thing I got here is like, the, the Pharisees don't like the Sadducees who don't like the Herodians who don't like the Pharisees. Like this is, this is big time desperation on their part. Desperation is a perfect word. Uh, anything else on that before we move on, since we spent so much time talking about weddings and well, fighting about stuff? All I'm saying is that I just don't pay my taxes. I hope that somebody comes along and pays them for me. Don't say that. Oh, so don't say that. Don't, oh, God, that, that's evidence now. That's going to wow. be brought into evidence. Just, now we're I all pay getting, my taxes. I have a tax attorney. We're all going to get audited now. <laughs> Every last one of us. We, we did have a client that wrote a letter to the president that he believed he did not need to pay taxes. No joke. Yeah. IRS showed up at his door. Oh, I bet. Mm-hmm. No, I pay my don't, taxes every don't, year. Don't write the president a letter that says you're not going to pay your taxes. Oh boy. Not okay. recommended. Yeah. So is he still a client? Uh, this was in 1992. So oh. at the time I was eight. So I don't know the details after that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So you were doing his returns? I was doing his tax return. Yeah. All right. That's that makes sense. I didn't want to pay him. All right, Ryan, if you can hit uh, verses 23 through 33, we won't spend a ton of time here, but let's hit this okay. section. Jesus answers the Sadducees. On the day that some Sadducees who say there there is no resurrection came to Jesus and questioned him, saying, Teacher, Moses said, If a man dies having no children, his brother as next of kin shall marry his wife and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers among us, and the first married and died having no children. He left his wife to his brother. It was the same also with the second brother and the third, down to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, in the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the, will the whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had her in marriage. But Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, since you do not understand the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given marriage, but are like angels in heaven. But regarding the resurrection of the dead, I have I have not read what was spoken to to you by God. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but God of the living. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. <clears throat> like I said, I didn't want to spend a whole lot of time here, but is, is the sense that y'all get that, okay, we, we see in Luke 9 that we will recognize people in heaven. So when people think that we're all just going to be like cherubs up there, you know, flying around playing harps and all that type of stuff, and we won't know anybody, we're just going to be hanging out in the clouds, staring at Jesus all day. Um, it's, we, we get the idea from scripture that we will know people in heaven. We will recognize people in heaven. 
but that we won't recognize them as their title to who they were in our lives. So this was not my best man at my wedding. This was not my pastor. This was not my dad. This was not my wife. That these were just other heavenly beings and we're all there for the same purpose, which is to worship Jesus. Is that kind of the sense that y'all are getting? I got, yeah, I get that sense, but I also think it's funny because he talks about us being like angels in heaven and the Sadducees didn't believe in angels. So they were like, so that's kind of like a, like a a diss to them saying like, Hey, we're going to be like angels because angels didn't have genitalia. They didn't propagate. So there was no reason for marriage. Yeah. And so, so they, they didn't believe in angels in the afterlife. So it's ironic that they're the ones asking this question, first of all, but then Jesus knows that and he goes and, you know, so the Sadducees recognize the Torah and nothing passed. So his response to them is from Exodus, right? Like from the part that they, you know, where he's saying, you know, uh, he is not the God of the dead, but of the living. living. You know, and so it's like, again, it's like the people around are like, ooh, this dude is on fire. You know, it's like, dude. you're like, do not ask him another question because he is going to smoke you. Well, he, start, he starts out with a burn. He's you are wrong him. because yeah. you know neither the scriptures <laughs> nor the power of God. And the Sadducees were like, no, we've cornered the market on knowing the scriptures and the power of yeah, God. Yeah, we got the Pharisees, the Herodians, the Sadducees, we're all here. Like what throws in angels. He's what like, did we miss? Yeah. Well, so that, that kind of made me sad initially. I was like, I'm not going to recognize my wife in heaven, but it's like, but you, you will recognize them, but just not. So that's what made me so sad last year when freaking Joby, I asked him on my show, Joby Martin, I said, Hey man, uh, is my dog going to be with me in heaven? Cause my dog's my best friend. He's sitting here at my feet right now. And he goes, yeah, you know, we got a sense that there's animals in heaven, but your dog's not going to be your there, man. Yeah. And you're not even going to care. And I was like, how dare you, man, sir? It's true. Tell me that my dog won't be there and that I somehow won't care. And he was just like, dude, do you care that you don't have your binky anymore? Because your binky was the most important thing to you when you were a year and a half old. But you, do, you don't even think about it now. And I was like, my dog is not a binky. You're making me sad. Stop it. <laughs> you're just going to be happy to be there in heaven, in God's presence and worshiping whether you're in the front row or the back row, whether you're first or the last, you're just going to be happy to be there. But I, I, I agree with Kyle. Like I do want this kind of sense of like when I'm there, the joy that I have when I'm with my wife, I want to have just a little bit of that. Like, is there, are there, like if I recognize her, is there going to be, man. I know, yeah. but, but, but like joy, you know, joy of the Lord, you know, like God is love. I love my wife. Like, is, is there going to be, is there going to be any sense of like, knowing that this person was important to me. I don't think I, th- but that comes, I'm, I'm with Joby on this one. It's not going to matter. Like we're trying to take human feelings. No, I know it won't but, matter. But, no, but, but what I'm saying is we're, we're trying to take human feelings for our dogs or for our wives. And we're trying to, we're trying to bring that to heaven. But the feeling in heaven is going to be far more greater. I get it. Than the love feeling that you have for your wife. No, right I, get it. I just want an I idea. I get where you guys are like, at. What like, are we going to be sad? Like, what are we going to be doing? Yeah. Sad, I get it. Is it one long Hillsong concert in heaven? Cause no, it's so, Hillsong I, is heretical. Okay. Well, okay. I'm just saying like, <laughs> it's a long shade and shade I just, concert. I just want to shut it. Long, long I, robes and <laughs> long robes and harps. Dude. No, it's just worship. It's just like, we're in the presence of God. We're in awe of the beauty. But are we like, are we able to like play baseball in heaven? Can we hit like 800 foot home runs whenever this, we want? I'm like, going to throw, throw this out. Cause Dagan was worried about his wife. How did, what, kind of awe were you in on the day you married your wife when you saw her walk down that aisle? Oh my gosh. Like as, mm-hmm. as much awe as I could have on this Take planet. Take that times infinity. I get it. And that's what it's going to be. Well, I know when, get, when he says, I'm going to go prepare a place for you, like 
as beautiful as all these places are, like, I, I know that I can't even fathom yeah. what he's got in store. Yeah. Like, I get it. But is I it like, so if is I it love, mountains? Is so it if beaches? I love to be in the mountains, yeah. Are they, be, are they just big mountains? Because if they put me, if yeah. I get sunburned in heaven, I'm going to be so pissed if they put me on the beach. I mean, come on. Is there sunburn in heaven, right? I'm on the golden sands. I, man, <laughs> I they have the best what, sunscreen. This is, this is what I think about That's heaven. That's true. I don't think about, oh, am I going to get a place in the mountains? I'm like, I'm just gonna be happy to be in the back row in the nosebleed section. Are you gonna have that perspective? Be like, I made it! I can't believe I yeah, made it! I'm gonna be like, I'm so glad I thought I was first and I'm the last one here. But you know what? I'm the last one here. Thank you, you, God. Are you telling me you wouldn't want a golden cabin in the heavenly woods? Like, come on, man. Like that would be super awesome. No, I would sleep. I would sleep on the outside of the gates of heaven. Just be happy to be close to it. Okay. All right. We're getting off into the ethereal. I think it's because it's super late and we're still not even near being done. (laughs) We haven't even gotten to the part of Matthew 22, which is the most famous of all the stuff from this like section of scripture. So, uh, Dagan, if you could hit the great commandment, so that is Matthew 22, starting at verse 34 and go to verse 40. Now the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees. They gathered together, one of them a lawyer, Asked Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied to him, You should love your Lord. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. I kind of feel sheepish adding anything to this because it is very straightforward. Again, he's asked a question from a intellectual elite. He's asked to give one answer. He gives two. And somehow being asked a singular question and giving a, a multiple answer seems to make sense here. I, I mean, again, guys, I, I don't feel the need to add anything here, but I'm, I'm curious if you guys wanted to throw some more stuff out. My, my only thought is he breaks it down to, like for us, it's so simple. And yet I struggle so mightily with it. Like... Love your neighbor as yourself. I got one neighbor that I want to win the lottery and I got another one that I'll be jealous of if they do. Right. right? Like, so I, I, that it's so simple and yet I can't do it. I suck that at was it. Exactly. Well, not even that, but love, loving God is primary. Loving God's number one, your neighbor's, neighbor's number two. And I, I suck at both. Yeah, on and oftentimes move myself to the top. Like he doesn't even put me in there. Yeah, on a regular <laughs> basis, multiple times a day. Well, and don't some people, I mean, there are a lot of people that are like, well, I can't love my neighbor as myself because I hate myself. And I mean, I've been there. Like, I don't know about you guys, but, you know, I have a propensity for negative emotion and pessimism. And yeah, I know. Shock. (laughs) This is a shocking revelation that everyone in our audience is hearing for the first time. But I will say that there there have 100% been times in my life where, and, and I've talked about this on the show, this shouldn't be a shock to anybody, to where I intellectually considered suicide. So I, I, I make a, a strong delineation between I did not consider suicide in terms of like, okay, if I did it, I could do it like this or I could do it like that. Right. It wasn't like that. But I, it was a consideration in my brain of like, okay, let's weigh the pros and cons of this, but not because I was trying to decide if I was actually going to do it. So hopefully I'm, I'm making a clear delineation there. But, you know, things in my life, circumstances were not the way that I want it. I'm looking at 
you know, the value of what I am dead based on what my insurance policies say and the value that I'm bringing alive. And I'm, you know, putting myself into this continuum and I'm haunted by the verse that says the one that does not, you know, provide for his family is worse than a non-believer. And no one around me seems to care about that verse nearly as much as I do. And I, I just thought about it. And so in that moment, if you said, love your neighbor like yourself, I was like, good, that requires nothing of me because I don't love anything about me. Mm. And I mean, I feel like a lot of people are there. Because we live in the most doped up, medicated time period in the history of our country, in the history of the world. And you have people that are literally crying into their $1,000 smartphone in their 3,000 square foot house with brand new cars in the garage. They have a house for their cars. They have food in the fridge and like their, their lives are pretty much squared away, but they are just stuck in this wheel of depression, which makes them hate themselves. I think when we look at love your neighbor as yourself, love is a verb and not a feeling. So you may not feel in love with yourself, but you love yourself enough that you're taking care of yourself to a point like you're, you're eating, you're, you're getting up, you're sleeping. And so I like to look at it as, as you know, um, treat your neighbor as you want to be treated. So I want to treat my neighbor how I would want my neighbor to treat me. I'm going to treat my neighbor as I would want you to treat me. So like I, I, we get into the greatest commandment and this is a summation of all the 10 commandments, but we have this new, you know, being nice is the, the 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 11th commandment. commandment. And it's not about being nice. It's about treating your neighbor as you want to be treated. Now, if I know I'm in sin and I have a neighbor who is in Christ, that's in sin. I'm going to treat him the same way I'd want to be treated if I was in sin. I'd want some conviction. But sometimes we have neighbors that aren't into Christ and they, they aren't believers. So I'm going to treat them maybe a little bit differently than I would treat myself to a point. I would treat them probably nicer and, not, and with less condemnation or conviction. But I think when we think about it as love your neighbor as yourself, we have this feeling that love is just a feeling. And we don't really look at it as an action or a verb anymore. I would agree with that. Guys, let's hit this last section. Whoever wants to read it, let's uh, close it out. Verses 41 through 46. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. What do you think about the Christ? What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, then how does David in the spirit call him Lord? Saying, oh, my bad. I want to scroll down. The Lord said to my Lord, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Therefore, if David calls him Lord, how is he his son? No one was able to offer him a word in answer, nor did anyone dare from that day on ask him any more questions. I love that. I love that at the very end is it's just like we have tried every smart person we know. We've teamed up with our enemy. The, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Like we've done all this stuff. And we just keep swinging and missing. And again, guys, we're looking at like, this is like Tuesday of Passion Week. So, I mean, we're in the final stages here. And so, again, if you're reading through the Bible or if maybe you're just popping in and out, you may be thinking to themselves, oh, there's a lot of time between now and the crucifixion. No, like we're, we can smell the crucifixion. 72 hours out. Right. I mean, we're right there. And so the Pharisees and Sadducees and all of their little offshoots, they've gotten to this point and they've tried everything they could do to trick him. And now they're going to go beyond tricks. It's like, we're not going to do tricks anymore. We're going to connive. Like we're going to create this scenario where we're going to get the support of Rome so that we can take this guy out because we were trying to take him out. 
you know, the, the, you know, we're trying to take the back way and, you know, try to get him to, you know, step on his own, you know what, and you shoot himself in the foot and we just haven't gotten there. But one thing I did want to point about, about verse 45, before we get closing thoughts from you guys is if then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And this is Jesus again, declaring his deity, because you will find Muslims that will pull out pieces of the new Testament and they make the claim that Jesus never claimed to be God, that nowhere even in our New Testament do we see that Jesus explicitly claimed to be God. But you see throughout Scripture him saying things like this, putting himself in the same exact category of God. And so to people that say that have bought the lie that Jesus never claimed deity, this just goes directly in contravention to that. Which do you think, you know, you get to that last, you know, from that day on, no, they didn't ask him. They didn't dare ask him another question. Was it because that one was like the one that crossed the line in their mind? Like he actually just called himself God. I think at this point they had, he had said so many things like this. I think this would have just been a repeat of the same sentiment. I think at this point, if I were to guess, they were so exasperated and they had, <clears throat> they had basically tried everything. They had tried every way that they knew how to trick him and trap him to where they could either put him up for blasphemy or treason directly to where the mob wouldn't take them out along with Jesus, you know, them taking out Jesus. And they just had exhausted all options at that point. Yeah. Any other thoughts on this before we wrap up? No, just always that it was a group, you know, if it's, if it's, if it's one Pharisee that he's conflicting with, you know, and that Jesus is just a better debater or whatever, but it's always, it's the group and the group got bigger over time and Jesus still, man, he just still whooped them. They either had to call him. I think when he puts it this way, they either have to say he's blaspheming and saying he's God, but they don't want to say that he's saying he's God. So well, they don't want to walk away from it. And they, they also witnessed him coming in on the donkey yeah. and how everybody treated him. And they're thinking, we've got to be careful so that we don't lose our top knots at the same That's time. So guys, I think we have set a new forging table record. I think this is one of, if not the longest episode that we've done. We should talk about our weddings and all kinds of things and get into fights all the time. This is lots of fun. We didn't guys. fight. We just had a theological we, we had, discussion. We had fun. If y'all, if y'all thought we were going to leave here like hating each other, you got another thing coming. But Dagan might hate me after I ruined no, heaven for him. No, no, I ruined Love heaven you. for him. Love <laughs> you. No. There's, you won't see your wife there. Oh. <laughs> no, I hate you again. <laughs> well, she'll be there. You just won't know it. Okay. I can sense things heating back up. You guys cool it, cool down. We're going to leave it there, but guys come back here next Sunday where we are going to dig into Matthew 23. So if you are behind, get caught up and read through Matthew 23. And before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. Matt and Dawson's life. Our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. If you listen to us for any length of time, you've heard us talk about the forging table starter set from Crossway. Everything here in the show notes, you can uh, we have that all here so that you guys can pick up that stack of books right there. And also, we are a donation-based ministry. Guys, if you like things like the forging table, know that the only reason we can pull this off is because we have donors that have dedicated themselves financially to our process, <clears throat> excuse me, and to what we want to do and to be able to equip men around the globe to push back darkness. So if you want to be part of that process, hop on board.
Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And also we want to thank the band Holy Name for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is their song Perpetual. Petua, which is off their self-titled debut album on Face Down Records. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience, keep seeking the Lion of Judah. <laughs>